0: Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit. We come this morning gathered together as one with you to worship you and praise you and lift you high and to acknowledge your power, your resurrection power in our lives. God, I pray against the evil one and any hostile spirit that would try and steal the truth and the power of your word from our hearts and our minds this day. I pray, Lord, that you would transform us in this local gathering to become more like you. Help us, Lord, to understand, to embrace the oneness that so easily eludes us. We pray, Lord, for you to open our hearts and open our minds to understand endlessly the mysteries of who we are in you. And may it cause us to flourish in increasing measures of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I pray for every person in this room, Lord, whatever baggage we are walking in here with, whether it be grief, whether it be fear, whether it be sickness, sadness, depression, anxiety, addiction, conflict, broken relationships. Lord, I pray that your spirit will meet us right where we are and transform us through a communion with you and the empowering of your resurrection power in our hearts and our lives and our minds. And I pray it just as we pray what your son Jesus taught us to pray. And if you don't know it, the words are on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. For all of you note takers whom I love so much, I actually put the uh, slides for this morning's message uh, out on TomBanderwell.com. It's right at the top of the page along with uh, some references that I'm going to, uh, or some sources that I'm gonna reference as we go on in the message today. In 2003, I had the opportunity to go to Israel with a couple of friends, and it was during what's known as the Second Inifada which means uprising or rebellion. And it was interesting because at the time we went there, things were very dangerous, and we were actually warned not to go. And there were no pilgrims, there was hardly anybody going to the Holy Land at that time. Why? Because bombs were going off and rockets were being fired from the West Bank into Israel. And, and tensions were heightened. So it was a very interesting time to be there. And our guide um, was a carpenter from Nazareth, true story. His name is George Khalil and George um, is an Arab by ethnicity, a Christian by faith, and an Israeli by citizenship. So he's an interesting guide to have. And one of the things that George really did through the whole trip, and didn't really realize that it was happening, but George wanted us as Americans to experience both what was happening in Israel but also what was happening in the West Bank and what was happening in the Arab areas he wanted us to go to Arab East Jerusalem he wanted us to experience what it was like for the Arab Christians in Nazareth to worship together so he said we we're going to go to Bethlehem now Bethlehem was under the Palestinian authority so again we were told we should not go. And in fact, we tried to get into Bethlehem, into the West Bank one way, and the Israeli army would not let us pass. Why? Because we're Americans and we were, they feared that something dangerous was gonna happen or you know, somebody would see the opportunity to you know, do something uh, hostile to us. So to be honest, me and my two friends were kind of like, hey, George, this is cool, right? we don't have to go to Bethlehem. We can just mark that one off the agenda. He's going, no, 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 I know another way. And so he goes around, he goes, we in another way. So we get in this, and he, he gets it, and then there he talked to the army and they finally relented. You could tell that he was kind of arguing with them and pleading with them. And finally they said, okay, you know, kind of you're on your own. So we go into Bethlehem. Again, very, very, there was just hardly anybody there. And you could just feel the tension. So we went to the Church of the, uh, the Nativity, and, you know, we saw the, the church and everything. And it was very interesting because the Palestinian authorities, um, they, they were there. There were, like, policemen following us and wanted to tell us what we could do and what we couldn't do and just exercise their authority over us. So we get done with that and we're kind of done seeing the site. And honestly, it's like going, you know what? Great, we've seen it, let's go. And George is like going, no, we ha- oh, come, we have to have some lunch. I'm like going, no, I'm, I'm good. He goes, no, no, come. And he, he takes me to this little hole in the wall cafe. It's sort of like the windmill cafe of Bethlehem. This local Arab guy who has this little cafe. And George is like, come in, you know, let's support local, let's, support. I'm like, I'm walking in and I'm, like, going, okay, how quickly can we order and how quickly can we go? And he introduces me to the shopkeeper, the cafe owner, who comes around from his counter and he's like, oh, come in, come in, come in. And I'm, like, going, okay. And so we walk in, and again, there's hardly anybody there but a couple of locals, oh. And he says, sit, sit, let me get you something. And, you know, he found out, George is like going, Tom's never had falafel. You've never had falafel! So he comes out, and he's bringing me free food, and he's asking me questions, and he wants to sit down and talk to me and learn about us. And he's like going, oh, more to drink, more to drink. And he's bringing out more soda. And every time, you know, I take a bite, he's like, going, oh, you need to try this too. And he's bringing it out, and it was... (laughs) it was so warm so loving so hospitable i felt welcome i felt honored and i was told and prepared to be hated you know there is if you've ever been to the middle east you know that there is such a thing as middle eastern hospitality In fact, our daughter Taylor, when she went on a mission trip to Morocco, I think I've shared this story before, she said to me, Dad, the most Christ-like experience I had, here's me and my team going to Morocco to be missionaries, the most Christ-like experience I had was walking into this little shop in Morocco, and the shopkeeper just welcomed us in, started asking us questions, and ended up saying, you must come to my our house tonight to have dinner. And Taylor's like going, you don't even know. No, you have to come. You have to come to dinner. And she said, so she and her, uh, a couple of her friends said, okay. So they go to this little apartment. And she's like, dad, it's this little hole in the wall apartment. But they went all out. They fixed this meal that you wouldn't believe. They showed us videos of their wedding. All of a sudden we're family and they're talking. And he said, it was it was the love of Christ coming from this Arab Muslim shopkeeper. And Taylor's question in that was, what am I supposed to do with that? Hmm. I believe that our understanding of who we are in Christ and how we relate to those in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our community, in our businesses, has to fundamentally change. And I want to talk about this morning. I want to say, uh, Pastor Katie's here with us this morning, and we're going to be having communion before we uh, finish worship this morning. The the executive team and executive board have mapped out where we're going this year um, in teaching. And we're gonna start with a series on healthy relationships. And we're gonna talk about relationships and to begin the series this morning, we are going to start by going back to the circle of love. Why? Because there is no healthy relationship that is not rooted in the love of God. There is no healthy relationship that doesn't come from the flourishing of God's Spirit through us in love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruits of the Spirit. I'd like to go start, let's go back to the core values. Let's go back, can we get that, there we go. Core values, flourishing in love, that's what we're trying to do. What does flourishing mean? We think of flourishing as, oh, you know, healthy, wealthy, and and wise. Flourishing is the fruits of the Spirit, increasingly in every interaction we have, in every relationship we have. So identity is that, and notice we've got a circle here, okay? This is a circle. And at the top, we've got identity, who we are in Christ. We're going to talk about that today. And then belonging, created for deep connection with others. So today, we're going to go back to the circle of love and try and understand our identity and what that leads to as we come into this series on healthy relationships. All right, let's go to the next slide if we could, Preston, thank you so much. This is an icon by a Russian named Rublev, and Kevin shared this a lot when we were going through the Circle of Love series. In fact, Kevin said he got a lot of feedback, like people were sick of seeing it. So if you were sick of seeing it, I'm very sorry. We're back to it, right? But there's some things that I wanna go back to, why? What we didn't, I don't think was explained well enough I take my own responsibility for that in in understanding this, is this icon is actually a picture of the story in Genesis chapter 18. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to go all the way back to Abraham. And one of the things we need to know is that, well, hold a second, let's go go to the text, then I'm gonna make a couple of points. So the Lord appeared to Abraham, verse one of chapter 18, near the great trees of Mamre. And so in the back there, you can see above the, uh, the top uh, visitor there, there's the tree of Mamre growing right behind him. So in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. Now, one of the things we need to understand here is if you go back to ver- chapter 17, Abraham has just been circumcised, okay? He's just been circumcised. And he gets up and hurries to meet these three visitors. In other words, he went out of his way. He was in pain. He, and he had servants, a lot of them. He could have sent the servants to do it, but he does it himself, He said, "'If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, "'do not pass your servant by. "'Let a little water be brought, "'and then you may all wash your feet, "'just like Jesus did to his disciples, "'and rest under the tree. "'Let me get you something to eat "'so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. "'Now that you've come to your servant.'" "'Very well,' they answered. "'Do as you say.'" So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. "'Quick,' he said, his wife,' Get three sayas of the finest flour. And if you've got footnotes there, text footnotes, you'll see that that's about 36 pounds of flour. Can you imagine how many loaves of bread are made with 36 pounds of flour? This, Abraham was not just going, let's see what kind of scraps we got left over in the pantry. He is taking the finest flour and extravagantly preparing a meal for them. Bake it into some bread. So he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. Oh, there in the tent, he said. Then one of the three said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son." Now, Sarah was listening at the end of the tent, which is behind him. Sarah is in her 90s at this point, okay? Abraham and Sarah were very old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself. And she thought, am I worn out and my Lord is old? Will I now have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son." Sarah was afraid and lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did. <laughs> now, Rublev and the early church fathers understood that the visit of the three visitors was a theophany. It was a pre, it was an ancient visitation of God's three persons on earth. And so, this icon of the Trinity that we looked at so often is really going back to the very beginning of Genesis and Father Abraham and the hospitality. See, why is is Middle Eastern hospitality a thing? Because both Arabs and Jews see Abraham as their father. They want to do what Abraham, their father, did. He paved the way. So it begins, the story begins at a table. Now, let me just sh- sh- go, go even further than this. Because we, I don't know that we really explain that. If you look at that icon, let go to the next slide. Will you please press him? Okay. So here we have the three in one, and notice that where the intersection is is the table. It's in the center. Now, go to the next slide, if you will. Notice that little square in the bottom. Art historians believe they found uh, on the actual icon um, the remnants of an adhesive, and they believe that originally Rublev had glued a mirror at the base. So notice we've got three, and there's this space at the table. And who was that for? Go to the next slide, please, Preston. It was from me. Rublev wanted every person who stood in front of that icon to see themselves at God's table. Isn't that cool? Now, let's go on. We talked about uh, this before. Go to the next slide, if you will, please, Preston. So now we have ourselves as part of the oneness of God. And what's really interesting is it really creates this entire circle. Once you put the circle of me there, the whole thing becomes just a bigger circle. This is the original paradigm. But then we move on in the story. Next slide, please. We've talked about this before. So in the second picture there is the tabernacle. So in the book of Exodus, God has them create this traveling tent that was their table. And it was in the middle of the Hebrew camp when they were moving from Egypt into the promised land. And that's where God resided. So you had this, this center. And so the Hebrews would come to the center. And this where the priests would go into the Holy of Holies and, and bring God the uh, sacrifice. And you they took this traveling temple with them wherever they went. And it was a radical change because at that point in history, local gods and deities belonged to a certain place. Every town had their own god. The Hebrews are saying, going, no, our god travels with us. And the nations around them understood that this was a radical concept. In fact, it scared them to death. Why? Because the Hebrews not only were coming, they were bringing their god with them. Okay? So then David plans and Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. So now we have a fixed point. We have the traveling tent. Now we're in Jerusalem. We've got the temple and there's this one spot where you go to worship God. That's why you always go for the festivals. Or Jesus would go to the temple at certain times of the year and he would teach there because that was the center of the Hebrew religion. But then Jesus gave us a different paradigm. Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. And he welcomed us to what? Back to the table. In fact, let me uh, read this. This is from, this is on Wendy and I's, uh, our refrigerator at home. Oh, I gotta find it, it makes all my stuff here. Bear with me. There it is, it's under my Bible. Brian Zond, Z-A-H-N-D said this, the risen Christ did not appear at the temple, but at meal tables. The center of God's activity had shifted. It was no longer the temple, but the table that was the holiest of all. The church would do well to think of itself not so much as a kind of temple, but a kind of table. This represents a fundamental shift. Consider the difference between the temple and the table. Temple is exclusive. Table is inclusive. Temple is hierarchical. Table is egalitarian. Temple is authoritarian. Table is affirming. Temple is uptight and status conscious. Table is relaxed and family style. Temple is a rigorous enforcement of purity codes that prohibits the unclean. Table is a welcome home party, celebrating the return of sinners. The temple was temporal. The table is eternal. It began with the table. It went back to the table. And when we get to eternity, guess what it is? It's a wedding feast. Back to the table. We thought God was a deity in a temple. It turns out that God is a father at a table. Radical difference. Okay, so let's keep going here. Next slide, please. I've talked about the four levels many, many times. So we've got life on four levels. We have my relationship with God, myself, my own thoughts, how I do life in my own little world, my brain and my heart. And then level two is community. My relationship with Wendy and my children and my coworkers and my community and all of you. That's part of level two and how we interact with one another. Then we get to level three, which is the kingdoms of this world. The corporate, business, politics, religion, all the institutions that run this world. And then finally, level four is this kingdom of God. We get to the eternity that Jesus was trying to bring right here to earth, okay? Next slide, please. Hold on to that thought. This is the paradigm that I believe most most people, in fact, especially those of us who were raised in the church, have. Think about this. We are, God is what? Out there. God is out there somewhere. I am separate from God. I'm here on earth and God is up there in heaven and then below is hell that I wanna avoid. So here I am And God is out there, so somehow I've got to get to God. And the way that I get to God is through somebody who leads me to God, a priest. That's what a priest is, a conduit, an in-between. And so the paradigm is God, so what do we do? We come to church to visit God on Sunday. And a pastor, a teacher has this priest-like role where I stand up here under the lights and you sit down there in the chair and all of a sudden, somehow, through me, I, you get God's truth. But it's the same paradigm, isn't it? And then we leave church and we pray the rest of the week, God, come be with me. God, I want to get, you know, incline your ear. I want to get to you. Let's go to the next slide. So the paradigm of the kingdoms of this world, so Jesus said that this world is run by the prince of this world, the evil one, and he came to bring the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of this world. And in fact, the, king, the prince of this world in Matthew chapter 3 offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. Satan took Jesus showed him all the kingdoms of this world, all the power, all the politics, all the pomp, all the wealth, all the business, all the control. And he said, Jesus, I will give all of this to you because I'm the prince of this world if you'll just bow down and worship me. And the people were looking for a Messiah that like the kings of this world worked top down think about it, what institution? We have governments top-down who tell us what to do. The church for centuries, top-down, would tell us what we could say, what we couldn't say, what what to do, how to dress, how to do this, how to speak, how to do this, what's pure, what's not pure. And if we, again, top-down authority. We're dealing with it right now. We have we have kingdoms of this world that are telling us what's right to say, what's not right to say, what's right to believe, what's not right to believe, what's proper, what's politically correct, what's not politically correct. And if you don't abide by the power structure, what happens? You're, we're, we're canceled, we're ostracized, we're thrown out. It's very much a top-down structure. And so the Jews wanted the Messiah to come and tap down Take over the Romans. Lift up the Jews. Make us kings of the world. So let's go to the next slide. It was more of just the same thing. See, the the paradigm and the four levels all work together. And this is how we often think of God in our relationship. But it doesn't work that way. Go to the next slide, please. Jesus came to create a different paradigm. John 4, 14. If you love and keep my commands, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. The advocate, the Spirit, will be with you, in you, forever. One, the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is going to come to us. Yes, he's going to come to us as the Holy Spirit because they're one. One. So he comes to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, three in one. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live in you. I will be with you. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This isn't top down. This is back to the table. We're all sitting at the table together. I am in you. I am in the Father. The Father's in me. The Father's in you. The Spirit's in you. It's all one. Go on, John chapter 17, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus is praying and he says, my prayer is not just for my 12 disciples here, but all those who will believe in me through their message, like the people in the auditorium at Third Church in Pella, Iowa in 2022, 2023. May they also be in us, oh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory, and you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. <laughs> he keeps saying it. It isn't this top down, you're out there, God, where I have to reach you. It is we are at the table, one, very really. And now let's blow your mind here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. It says. For you died, Paul writes to the Galatian believers, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, in the heavenly places. And when Christ appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Why? Let's go to Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms. In Level four, kingdom of God, heavenly realms. We are blessed with spiritual every spiritual blessing in Christ. How can that be? Because that's where a part of us is. Because we are, part, we are one with Christ, who is in the heavenly places, sitting next to the Father. And we, our lives are hidden in him. Blow your mind. Chapter two, verse six. And God raised us up with Christ, past tense, seated us with him past tense, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And you're going, Tom, how can that be? It's a mystery. But here's what I believe based on this. If what Jesus said is true, we are one with him right now in the heavenly places, however that works. And I believe that when I die and I cross over and I enter into eternity, I'm going to go, I'm back home. Because a part of me has always been there. How does that work? Go to the next slide, please. See, Jesus had a different paradigm. He came from level four all the way to level one. That's what Christmas is all about. And then Jesus wanted to transform me so that as I... In part of the circles of my community and my circles of influence, the love of Christ in me, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness is gonna transform those around me. And as those around me get transformed and it happens all over the world, it will change the kingdoms of this world. That's the paradigm. And we've got to get back to that. Next slide. Sticking with me here? So the ramifications of the circle of love, real quick. One, God is not out there. (laughs) God is in here. God is in you as a believer. God is everywhere. You can't escape him. You can't go anywhere. Psalm 139, can't go anywhere. He is there. And we've got to get out of this thinking that God is out there and somehow I've got to get to him. No, God is in me if I am in Christ and I am in him. And I have to begin to understand what that means. Next, next, as a believer, I am one in Christ and I have all the power of the spirit that is in me. I just may not recognize it. Well, how do we begin to recognize that? Uh, a couple uh, last year, I did a message in the sanctuary called "Believer Versus Disciple," and in fact, uh, on the the post on my website, tommandel I, I linked to that. Go backwards, it just because being a believer and assenting in your mental saying, "Oh yeah, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God," that doesn't that doesn't transform you. What transforms you is when you are a disciple. Because what is a disciple? A disciple is one who follows every day. A disciple is one who sits at the table with him. This disciple is the one who every day, every thought is, I'm walking in the footsteps. I am following. I am listening. I am with the Lord every day. Being a disciple is understanding that I am never apart from God. He is with me. Even in my worst times, he's still there. And I am one with him and he is with me. And that begins to transform how I live out my day. Next, our very, according to accepting our invitation to the table, is communion with God. And not just communion that we're going to take in a few minutes. It is communion in the sense of being at the table, enjoying a meal, all times. Jesus is with me every day. I commune with God every morning in my quiet time. I commune with God at the table with Wendy as we're having coffee, I commune with God, when I am with my coworkers in business. All of a sudden, the table takes on a completely different con- context. And to that, the next, the next point is this. We're not abandoned. we're not alone. Romans 8, nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you, not even your sin. Next, we are ambassadors, priests, and conduits of love. Back to the paradigm, it's I am transformed, God uses me to transform others. Next, flourishing produces increasing measures of the fruit of the spirit in my life. I become more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and all of them. That's what the flourishing happens. So next point, next one. Keep going Preston, one more, click, there we go. Our very lives are ministry. You are a minister of the gospel of Christ. And you take God with you wherever you go as a believer, as a disciple. And you are to flourish in the fruits of the Spirit so that people are transformed by your presence and the presence of Christ that is in you. And they are saying, man, there's something different about you and I wanna know what it is. Because you're just so hospitable, you're so generous, you're so kind, you're so patient, you're so good. Next, every human relationship is intended to spring from the circle of love. Love, keep going, Preston, just keep cycle through them there. Love, hospitality, generosity, family, even my enemies. On our refrigerator we have have a magnet, it's got a verse in Luke that says, Jesus said love them anyway, love them anyway. That's the hospitality of Abraham. I don't care who you are, come in, be with me. And then finally there, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, ambition, uh, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, these are all acts of the flesh. So I need to kind of go, where in my life do I feel hatred? What areas am I experiencing discord? Where am I jealous of others? Where am I experience anger and rage? Where am I, where's my ambitions? Where's the conflict and dissension? Envy. Because if those things are part of my experience in my relationships, then something's out of whack. I am operating out of the acts of the flesh and I am not operating, I am not flourishing in the fruit of the spirit. So what do I need to do? It's not like I God is out there and I need to go find him, I need to embrace the reality that God, you're here. And I'm not not believing it. (laughs) I'm not having faith in it. I'm not trusting it. I'm not experiencing it. So Jesus, I need to be your disciple. I need to experience it more. And what does Jesus say? Come to the table. My body's broken for you. My blood was shed for you. Come to the table. Let's eat together. And let me show you the better way. Let's pray. And then uh, Pastor Katie is going to come, and we are going to share at the table together. Father, teach us the truth of this. I feel so inadequate sharing it, Lord, and it is such a mystery. But I know it is true. Bring us to the table and teach us to be one. Help us to learn as we follow in your footsteps that we are in you and you are in us, and your spirit is in us, and we are with you and the Father. And may that change our lives.